Guys, hi, my name's Kate Martin. I've been in the fitness industry myself for approximately 22 years. And I have with me today, Keith Alpert, who is an amazing coach with an enormous amount of experience, who helps lots of people in lots of different niches. So we're very lucky to have him give us some of his golden value from athletes in regards to athletes that are trying to get better at their sport, typically basketballers, young male basketballers, um, who might be going from high school to college. And then we're going to talk about um, getting out of pain as well. Keith, can I let you introduce yourself? Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and who you've helped? So uh, my name is Keith Alpert. I'm just outside of Boston, Massachusetts. And I've been a strength coach since 1988. I can't believe I'm saying that. And uh, I originally started dealing with uh, professional basketball players at all levels of professional basketball over the last 10 years. However, I've gotten into dealing with uh, collegiate basketball players as well as now uh, transitioning in over the last five, 10 years to working with high school basketball players who either are interested in making their high school teams and in the cases of some wanting to go and move on and try to play college basketball or university basketball for the non-Americans. And can you tell us a little bit about um, your background of helping people with pain? So in the, uh, so originally uh, also work with the general public in person. So Keith, in terms of basketball, who do you actually help? So uh, currently for the most part, I am dealing with high school basketball players who anywhere from 15 years old to 18, 19 years old, who aspire to find uh, how good they can be as a basketball player. I deal with the physical side of it, getting them bigger and stronger, but in a way that translates to their sport. And uh, a lot of times I'm left with very little time to deal with it because in, uh, in America they have uh, they're playing high school basketball between their high school teams and their club teams for 10 and a half months out of the year. Mm -hmm. And what are the main things that these high school basketballers come to you for? So many of them have trouble fitting in how to uh, get stronger and, and get bigger uh, because they're, you know, having a tough time figuring out how to incorporate it or integrate it into their busy schedules. And uh, originally when I was dealing with uh, professional basketball players, uh, X number of them played over in uh, Europe, uh, Japan, and even uh, Kate's home of Australia. And I would have anywhere from, depending on the situation, from six to 12 weeks to deal with that. And I had to learn how to work under those conditions. And in a different sense, uh, because of busy high school basketball players, it's a different form of busy in which many times on weekends they're not around and they're practicing a few times a week and they still have uh, their obligations with school and, and uh, they're still teenagers and want to have uh, 
somewhat of a teenage life. So you're trying to incorporate how they can integrate strength training and physical uh, improvement into all of that. Mm -hmm. And why would, I mean, can you give us some examples of the, I'll call them kids, even though they're teenagers, of the kids that you've worked with and why getting them good at this sport actually helps? Where is it getting them? What are they going to? And what's the, I guess, the level of athlete that you're working with? So I, I work with all levels of athletes. I have some athletes that are just hoping to make their high school basketball team. And I have others that aspire to play in college. And irregardless of where they're starting from, uh, there's a certain trajectory that most coaches are used to seeing because you have all these players who are looking to find their A game and they're trying to find it as quickly as they can. And they're used to, in general, seeing a certain level of improvement from year to year to year. And what you, what you have to understand is that there's a lot of people striving to get to this level and there's not many openings. In America, only about three and a half percent of all high school players play in college at any of the three levels, with division one and two being scholarship levels and division three being a non-scholarship level. And that means that from an athletic scholarship standpoint. So there's not too many openings available in relationship to the number of players who are, are aspiring to get there. So they need to show a trajectory that is above and beyond the normal level of trajectory. And that's what begins to gain the attention of the coaches and scouts who are looking to find the next group of uh, players from year to year to fill their uh, college and university rosters. And can you explain to me what you mean when you say trajectory? So what are they looking for? There's a certain level of improvement that they're looking for, they're expecting. So uh, when they usually judge a player, when they see somebody who's, say, 15 years old, they have a general sense of what they might look like, like from year to year to year. And that's a normal trajectory. And what you're looking to do is, is well, coaches are looking at the star players on those particular club teams. They're still, by ac not by accident, but they're still going to get a chance to look at all the players. And it's when a player makes a big jump above and beyond that normal rate of trajectory or improvement, that's what usually garners attention. It's almost like a student. You can have an A student mm -hmm. in school and you can have a student that's not a very good student, but they make a lot of progress and the teacher actually uh, probably gains a little more satisfaction out of, the, out of the person who wasn't already the superstar because they're already the superstar. Right. So these, these people that are the scouts that are looking at them are looking at them over a series of years and then rating their there yeah growth. okay and what are some of can you give us some examples so what are the conditions that some of the players come to you in and then what do they need to take it to the next level so there's probably three types so one that i'm working with right now i've had for two years and he's a late bloomer meaning that he came to me at about 
five foot seven and probably about 58 to 60 kilos. And now he is up to about 80 kilos over two years. And he's also grown. So now he's, uh, and I wouldn't know how to translate this uh, into the metric system, but okay. he's gone from five foot seven to just about six feet tall. And the, however, the key, the key ingredient is that his body fat percentage is actually not that he was ever a, somebody who had a high body fat percentage, but his body fat percentage is actually lower now at close to 170 pounds than it was back at about 130 pounds. And that's, that's very important. So when you put on a lot of size, you have to put it on and think of it as more horsepower or more engine power and having less resistance or being more aerodynamic. And that helps them to be much more explosive. So faster, they can jump a lot higher. And, uh, and this is somebody who could barely touch the rim and now he's getting his elbow on top of the rim and he was not a great natural athlete. He's a pretty good athlete. And that would be one. You'd have somebody who's already tall, but very uh, skinny or, or ectomorphic and they might already have the height, but they're, they weigh maybe 70 kilos and they need to be more like 85 kilos to 90 kilos. And then you have someone who's very big who might be a hundred kilos, but he might have a 25 to 30% body fat. So for somebody like that, they already have the size, but they're too, uh, they're a little bit too slow, or they may be a great athlete, but they're not taking advantage of their potential power. And what happens when your body fat's too high is it affects your endurance. And so for them, we're still looking to add muscle tissue while decreasing body fat. So if I have someone who came to me at about 90 kilos and now he's weighing about 105 kilos, but his body fat has gone from about 20% down to 9% body fat. And that's been someone who's just under two years. And he's both a basketball and football, American football, and his, his sport is actually gonna be football. But basketball players will understand that at just over six feet tall, he's still dunking the ball easily, despite having another 30 pounds or about 13, 14 kilos more on his overall body weight. And he's probably gained himself about 18 kilos of, uh, of muscle while losing X amount of body fat. Wow. So... Is there a common thread to the, the problems that you see to these teenagers wanting to excel um, regardless of their height and the weight that they come in at or does it come down to body type and willing to be disciplined? And is there a common thread of problems? What are it, they? It has, it has definitely, there are two things. One, they have to have uh, motivation to, to do it. And a lot of them don't understand what that is until they go through the initial process. But if they can go through a couple weeks of the training, usually if they've experienced about three or four good leg workouts and they've already begun to change their nutrition, what I like to say is that 
well, they're not ready to, uh, they're not ready to leap tall buildings in a single bound in, in four workouts. What they notice in everyday life is they start to feel sturdier. So two examples I'll give is that, let's say they're outside and they say, mom, I forgot something in the house and they gotta go sprinting in the house and run back and grab something they forgot. They notice that they're flying up the stairs a little bit more easily. Or maybe they're crossing the street and they underestimated the speed of the car that's coming, flying towards them. And they've got to go booking or running fast across the street. And they notice that they're much more responsive and that the effort that they have to put in relative to what they're doing is a little bit less. They're, they're gliding a little bit easier. And that's when they start to notice that, uh, that positive change. Yes, because if they're doing the right thing in anything you, and it's a positive change, it starts to show you the result, doesn't it? So, yes. I mean, we'll get into the advice of what they could actually do to make some changes, whether they saw you or somebody else or they downloaded some program, obviously, off the internet. There's things that they can do. But are there definite problems and um, issues that you see? before they start that could hinder progress? Like, is it their nutrition? Apart from the fact that they need to get motivation, is it that, yeah, maybe they just don't have the discipline, so they need that kind of fortitude. Is there a, a common thread of problems that you see? So from a physical standpoint in basketball, depending what your dominant side is. So for example, mm -hmm. if you're a right-handed player and you're making layups, you're going to be jumping off to your left leg. And most kids will have made... 70% to 90% of their layups off their dominant hand, which means you're jumping off your left leg if you're a right-handed player and your right leg if you're a left-handed player. So over time, and I can tell you this even uh, after all these years, my left thigh is still bigger a little bit than my right thigh from all the times I'm being a right-handed player. I jumped off my left as comparison to my right. So you're already walking in with your dominant leg, which is the opposite leg of your dominant uh, uh, hand or arm, that you already have an imbalance with a stronger side and a weaker side. Now, it's never going to be completely 100% balanced, but you're looking to close the gap with that. That's, that's very important. From a structural perspective, oh, sorry, did I interrupt you? No, go ahead. Why is it important to make them balanced? Because what a lot of programs will give in almost any sport is that uh, a lot of general strength training programs for athletes will include some type of Olympic lift, like a power clean, hang clean, power snatch, hang snatch, and a squatting of some sort. And those are bilateral exercises, and I'm totally for those. But if somebody is already too strong on one side, they tend to shift towards the stronger side. And over time, that can create issues on a structural level. And it, it uh, sometimes will be there right away. And sometimes it will be something like a cavity. You don't get a cavity from uh, not taking care of your teeth a few times or eating, <laughs> uh, eating bad food. But it's something that over time, and one day it pops out, and now you have a have yourself an issue. So what and, are some examples of those symptoms that they might notice? Unlike, obviously, they won't get a cavity from just doing a layup on one side. That's from eating the candy. 
what is the cavity that they'll notice in the body from an imbalance? Well, typically it's, uh, it even goes beyond that. Right now they're being overused. So they're being asked to do things at a level that is probably too great for what their body can handle. And so when I first got into training athletes, I noticed that you never would see uh, tendonitis, uh, patellar tendonitis or quadriceps tendonitis in athletes until they became professional. And then American college basketball changed the rules because they weren't graduating at the highest levels a high enough percentage of athletes. So they started threatening to take scholarship, scholarships away from the universities. So the universities started having them come in June rather than wait till the fall to come in. And they would do schoolwork in the summer. So they would take a class, but that what that allowed them to do when they were on campus is that the coaching staff and the athletic training or the strength coaching staff would have these kids for 20 hours a week. And so, they would start killing them in late May, early June into July. Then they might have a few weeks off. And then rather than September in the past being uh, four to six weeks of preseason training, these kids would get, get hammered when they would go back and they'd start getting uh, those types of injuries. So I would see a lot of knee tendonitis. So you'd start to wear the patella tendon straps and you would never ever see it in high school kids. And now because of the club teams and that every kid's looking to show their uh, athletic ability and they're trying to dunk basketballs and do all kinds of crazy things, which a lot of them are capable of doing, they don't realize that the body over time, here comes that cavity and they start to develop tendonitis at 14, 15, 16. In fact, in the NBA now, there are players that are now in the league for now now four, four to six years that were the first to play year-round basketball at the national level. And when they were kids in the, when they were say 10, 11 years old, and now they have 10, 12, 14, 15 years of playing and you're seeing these guys get hurt at a much higher level earlier in their careers than you have ever seen. And so this is something that has added up over time for years. And so from a physical standpoint, the kids aren't ready to handle all of the workload over time. And in the NBA now, you're actually talking about what they call load management, which is crazy. Imagine you want to see some of the best players like LeBron James and you pay big money for a ticket and you show up and, oh, he's not playing tonight because we're going to give him, they may have had a game the night before. We're going to give him the, the second night off. And, uh, you, I would never, ever see that 10, 15, 20 years ago. Never, it didn't exist having load management for these athletes. So is it a factor given that everybody wants to obviously get into college, so they're going to, to try and be their best? Are there things that they could do at home? Because it's, is it unlikely that that's, the system is going to change in the time that these guys put in from an early age? And is it unlikely that it'll change? And is there something that they can do? Like, would you recommend that they do X, Y, Z at home to help manage it? Yeah, so they definitely need to do some form of strength training. The big challenge is 
typically if you were just talking to people about how often they should go to the gym, it would be say three or four times a week, or if they were working out at home three or four times a week. But what I've discovered over the years is that that might be actually too much additional workload on an already tired body. So it's obviously very individual depending on uh, their situation. But what I've discovered is that during a, a little less busy time, I can see these athletes only twice a week, which most uh, strength training people would say that's crazy. And even during the season, uh, once a week, from, depending on, on their situation. You know, it was funny, in my personal training career, I had this client who was very wealthy, but would only see me once a week. And I would think, how are we going to get anything done once a week? And this was very, very early in my career. And yet, he would work very hard that one hour a week, and I would see him the next week, and he always came back a little bit stronger. Now, was it ideal? No. But he kept on getting better, and I remember that vividly, that what do you know? You can actually get stronger working out once a week. Now, is that, like I said, ideal for an athlete? Not necessarily. It's about finding the correct dosage uh, in terms of how you, again, integrate that into a busy schedule. And it also depends on where they are uh, in their trajectory and at what point they are in their career. So for example, the biggest uh, point where a player is trying to begin to show college coaches is with two years out and then the most important is the summer right before. Uh, so those last two years are vital, two years to really put themselves on the map if they already haven't done so. And then when they're beginning to make choices, the schools, uh, the summer before their last year of high school is when the schools are really beginning to make decisions. And this year it's actually crazy because the spring season is for obvious reasons has been canceled and the summer is up in the air and the fall is usually while they play is usually of less importance, but may actually become very important right now, depending on uh, uh, what goes on with the, uh, the virus. Mm, and how long everybody's out for. So in terms of how these people could potentially get better, let's, what would you say are the key principles they need to worry about? Let's pretend they can't come and train with you. So what are some other things that they could take into consideration and need to worry about? And if they paid attention to those things that would make a massive impact, should they try and get a coach, even if it's virtual online or face-to-face -face, when we go back to face-to-face -face, and other nutrition and lifestyle things that they should really pay attention to and worry about? Well, the first key is that it's uh, most kids are always interested in seeing how strong they are initially and will challenge their bodies. And that I find is a little bit of a mistake. They need to learn how to, how to do perform the exercises. And if depending on who they follow, whether it's a coach, whether it's an online program, whatever it is, they should strive to focus on getting the correct technique down first and let the weight, the weight in their ability to lift will come uh, as they progress anyways. Mm -hmm. 
So you mean but technique, they, sorry. The te yeah, the technique, technique instead is, of trying to perfect their one RM, for example, in any movement. Yeah, the yeah. technique over strength first, because if the technique is not uh, learned properly and then they start to overload their bodies, they leave themselves two things. One, they won't get out what they put in in terms of what the exercise objective is. And they also leave themselves open to a you know, chance to get themselves injured. And so that's number one. And then the second thing is their nutrition has to be uh, improved. So I find quietly that uh, most, most kids are eating cereal, but cereal has a lot of sugar. Most kids have some form of bread uh, throughout the day. And if in America, the bread is full of wheat and the wheat is uh, in in most cases been genetically modified. So when you're eating a lot of sugar, you're eating a lot of wheat and even the dairy, if it's, if it's not good dairy, uh, there's a lot of hormones in the dairy. So all three of them can increase inflammation in the body. And so if you have someone who we talked about earlier, who's already skinny and ectomorphic and they're eating a high inflammation diet, then they're going to remain skinny and ectomorphic. And if someone comes in and already has a high body fat, then they're going to get fatter and they're going to get bigger. So neither is, is going to be good. Or you could already have the skinny kid who quietly has a high per percentage of body fat, which we might call skinny fat, and they're going to, in general, remain skinny fat. So as well as avoiding those things, what would you suggest they increase and how does a teenager get those things that they need to get into their life when you know they have a teenage lifestyle as well, from your experience? Well, one, they have to share the goals with their parents, in particular, in most cases, their mother, because their mother is the one who's buying the food for the house. And there's a lot of information that's out there, and most of the information will at least have them focus on eating less sugar and trying to eat healthier, which means increasing their protein content, eating more fruits, more vegetables, things of that nature. And if uh, they let mom know about that so that they're not eating, uh, uh, eating less fast food or eating uh, more convenient type food, then they're more likely uh, just on that alone to make some progress. So that's one. And what they'll also find within a few weeks is that they actually have more energy so young athletes that I work with, even ones that are very good students, tell me one of the first things they tell me when they uh, are compliant with what I ask them to do from a nutrition standpoint is they find that they're actually awake during their first two classes in the morning. They're not asleep. And that they're, it's actually easier for them to do their schoolwork. And I think that's huge. And, and another thing related to that is when they have a little less pressure in school because they're getting more efficient with their schoolwork. So even if they're already getting great grades, if they have to put in a little less effort because they're, uh, they're much more alert and they're able to get the information in a little more efficiently, that leaves them more time to do some of the other things that they'd like to do in their life, including having maybe a little bit more leisure time, which uh, is important for busy kids and young athletes. Amazing. So 
what are the things that you would suggest? What, what are the things that you would suggest to a client of yours to change? So if they're cutting out most wheat products, most cereal and most dairy, what should they put in instead? So they need to eat protein in, in, in the U S most breakfasts consist of cereal or pancakes or French toast or donuts or pastries, things that are loaded with sugar. And the only protein source that you'll usually see is either they'll have a, some type of a protein shake or they'll make a smoothie that has some protein or they'll have eggs and eggs have been bastardized by uh, most nutrition experts because they're high in cholesterol. And I'm not going to sit there and challenge PhDs in nutrition, but in my experience, when they eat more protein, but they cut the sugar out and they cut some of the other inflammatory foods out, uh, I've seen at all different ages that cholesterol levels actually improve. <laughs> my and, own personally as well, and clients as well. Sorry. Okay, yeah. And so what we'll have them do is it's actually okay to have meat. So it can be red meat. That's uh, that's lean protein sources, uh, classically grass-fed red meat, uh, hormone-free uh, chicken, white fish, salmon, turkey. And uh, for the more esoteric, you can have buffalo or bison or uh, uh, venison. There's, there's other things out there, but it's okay to have stuff that you would ordinarily eat for lunch and, and dinner, you can actually have for breakfast. And in, uh, a mentor of mine, Charles Poliquin, was very big on the meat and nuts diet, which was to have some form of meat and to have some sort of raw nut. It can be cashews, pecans, uh, almonds, uh, uh, macadamia nuts, walnuts, for example. And it was important to mix those up from day to day, so not have the same nut every single day. And what you would get out of that is you would have protein and you would have essential fats, which would actually improve your neurotransmitters and help improve uh, blood flow to the brain. And that's the, uh, one of the reasons why you would see kids being much more alert rather than uh, people think you eat sugar for breakfast and what you end up with is actually lower blood sugar because you start mm -hmm. to spike your insulin levels. What are, and this is slightly off the topic of basketball, but I guess it's all relevant to the nutrition, growing muscles, strength training, and any kind of conditioning for the human body. So it is still relevant. But you mentioned a mentor of yours, Charles Poliquin. I know that you've done a lot of work with him. What would you say, how, how was your relationship? What can you tell us about that? And what are some of the things that you've learned? Uh, it was very interesting because uh, uh, I actually had a colleague of his that I took some classes with named Paul Check, who's been around for many years. And Paul had mentioned uh, the best strength coach in the world, according to Paul, was Charles Poliquin. And back in 96, uh, a friend of mine actually went out to San Diego where Paul Check and Charles Poliquin and uh, another guy who was very interesting named Jerry Telly were teaching a small class. And interestingly enough, this guy was a client of mine. He was an acupuncturist and a massage therapist, reflexologist, who was also in a strength training who ended up taking the class. And imagine it's California time and I get a call at two in the morning. He was so excited about Charles. He said, you got to meet this guy. He is unbelievable. And, and uh, so 
he was French Canadian and didn't, that was probably his first English uh, seminar that he was uh, teaching. And then in October of 1997 in uh, a suburb of Montreal, he had his first class. So a friend and I actually drove up from Boston, which is a five, six hour trip. And we took his class and, and every time he taught from that point on, anytime I had an opportunity, I would take a class. The third time I got together with him, it was a, a class that he was teaching along with a powerlifting guru and a few others named Louis Simmons out in Columbus, Ohio. And it was at a hotel and we got there early, my friend and I, and we sat down with Charles and it was our first opportunity to sit down. And it turns out Charles was in a similar situation, meaning that in his case, he was training high level hockey players in which he only had six to 12 weeks to deal with them. And with my situation, having dealing with basketball players in a similar situation, we uh, began to uh, resonate with one another and we ended up becoming friends. And, uh, and I've had known him up until unfortunate, uh, unfortunate passing for over 20 years. And it was, uh, uh, he was uh, someone who uh, helped me put the icing on the cake and helped me think a lot differently about things, which led me to a lot of other things I ended up getting in. So I, uh, uh, to this day, I owe him a debt of gratitude. He's definitely left his mark on the industry, that's for sure, which is one of the reasons I'm excited to speak to you because you get to as well. And for anyone that's listening to this, how can they contact you if they have any questions or would like to somehow get a program off you online. Keith, what's your best contact details? So I can be reached at, on Facebook at Keith Alpert if they look me up there or athletist.com, A-T-H-L-E-T-I-S-T.com. But they could direct me, message me on Facebook would probably be the easiest. Mm -hmm. and do you have an email? It's my name, Keith Alpert at gmail.com. And guys, just so you know, you spell Keith Alpert, A-L-P-E-R-T at gmail.com. Awesome. There, Keith and I, I could probably ask you questions for 30 years to extract all the knowledge from you. But if anybody wants to ask you any questions, they can get in contact with you via those things. And I'll make sure all of your links are around this audio somewhere. And if anyone's got any questions, they can get in touch with me or Keith, sorry. I'm Kate at katemartinmentor.com and we'll speak to you guys soon. Thanks, Keith. Thank you.